the Fed is putting the brakes on the economy and we're, we're already nosediving. I mean, as one guy joked to me the other day, I said, well, maybe we're getting into the place where there's just no way that the market price is more than 50 basis points in September. And maybe we even start thinking, is it only going to be 25? And his joke to me was, cutting by 25 basis points isn't enough. That was Gavin. I'm Rish, and you're listening to Tomorrow's News. Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Welcome to Tomorrow's News. This week, Gavin and I are chatting about whether what we're seeing is a bear market rally or a durable low. We're going to talk about where the probabilities lie and what this means for investor positioning. Let's dive in. Hi, Gavin. Good afternoon. So it's been a week. What's been happening? What do you want to catch me up on today? It's been, well, it has been a week and what are we, like every week feels like it's a month, doesn't it? You know, it really does. Markets continue to surprise. I think all of us in markets are continually shocked by pretty material movements in stocks on a day-by-day basis. And we talked about that. I mean, the big question, you know, the markets are trying to answer you know, if there is, has the Fed really pivoted, whatever that means, I'll explain that in a moment. Is this a durable low or is it an interim low before we fall over again? And, you know, what's the bond market telling us? What is the, you know, what are long duration markets like Bitcoin telling us? And, you know, and, and what should we think about doing at a time like this? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up like the Fed pivot, right? Because the last time when we spoke, we spoke about how the markets are responding differently than they have before. I think I just wanted to ask you if you think that trend is continuing. Sure. No, no, that, that's a good question. So a lot of conversation is around this idea of the pivot. So let me explain what the pivot is. The pivot is going from raising rates or restricting money supply to incrementally being less and less restrictive of money supply. So think about it that way. So at the margin, even if the Fed is raising rates, they're doing it slower and we can begin to get a sense of when they might be cutting rates. The peak of that curve, we've like reached the peak of that curve going forward. Peak of that curve, right. So some people say, well, that's the pivot. Other people say, well, no, 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 that's not the pivot. The pivot happens when they've raised rates for the last time and we can kind of finally see the end of rate hikes and the beginning of rate cuts. But markets are forward-looking. They don't price today other than in extreme risk, but they price the future. And at the moment that the Fed actually starts to cut rates, the markets would have priced that in three, six months prior to that. So, of course, you're always in the risky seat of, do I get that timing wrong? Because uh, it can be pretty material. And, and the Fed Cutting rates isn't the only thing going on in the market. There's all kinds of other things going on in the market. So this question of the pivot matters because what people are thinking about is, hey, have we seen the last of the really big rate increases? It's going to be more modest now. And importantly, we're going to have the Fed really watching how 
the economy weakens and responds to the level of financial tightening that they've put in place already. We see lots of evidence, you know, Walmart laying off people, tech companies laying off people, uh, you know, the manufacturing indexes are weaker, you know, we're seeing rollover and things like price of oil, commodities, copper, everything you look at all kind of goes one way because in general, financial conditions are getting tighter. Growth is slowing. Mm-hmm. So it's all happening. We know it's happening. Is it happening quickly enough to put a cap on inflation? Unknown. If it doesn't, then the Fed will have to continue to restrict financial conditions, constrain financial conditions, wring the system out until their actions begin to play into the market. There's no perfect litmus test for this, right? There's a million data points. But the one that probably matters a lot this week, talking about tomorrow's news, is non-farm payrolls that come up on Friday. And non-farm payrolls may or may not give us a signal. Now they may, if there's a big jump in the number, you know, a, a big change in the unemployment rate, that is that more people are unemployed than were previously. We've been going to lower and lower and lower unemployment, even though the economy has been weakening. That's because there's been huge demand, you know, lots of job openings. And that's been like a little bit of a buffer for inflation, for the recession, for the the other things the Fed's looking at. Yeah. So that's been going on and we've been saying, well, hang on a second. Until we start to see unemployment increasing, we probably aren't going to be able to look to see wage inflation moderating. So I think, I think it's an important indicator. Well, the market thinks that too. But it can kind of go either way. I mean, at the moment, you know, there are lots of things that indicate people are short of staff. I'm talking mostly in the U.S. here, but it's true in Australia too. Lots of things that indicate people are short of staff and they're having to pay up to get them if they can get them at all. But we're also seeing the number of job openings in areas like retail or hospitality come off um, significantly. So there's just fewer job openings. And eventually, you know, if trends continue over the next three to six months, we'll be back at a normal market for job openings. And naturally, if the economy is also slowed, unemployment will be higher and the demands for wage increases will moderate and there will be less inflationary pressure in the marketplace. Now, pretty much everybody, including the Fed and even bearish people, think that that's going to happen, right? So it's not a question of if. At the end of the day, if you slow the economy enough, people are going to lose their jobs. We know that. It's that kind of what's that going to look like? Is it going to happen fast enough? How much is the Fed going to have to increase rates? And in general, the more they have to put the brakes on the economy, the harder it is to sort of bring the plane out of the nosedive. Right, and they want a smoother landing rather than a crash. Right, they want a soft soft landing. A soft landing means moderate slowdown in demand and growth while we do all this readjustment. By the way, people need to understand there is a difference between, I think $6 for a coffee is too much. There's been too much inflation. When inflation stops, oh good, my coffee is back to $4. Okay, that might occur. But what's more important than your coffee being $6 now is that it's not expected to be $6.50 or going to $6.50, okay? Because if prices increase at a known rate or don't increase, 
then everything in the economy can keep pace. It's when we're surprised by inflation and the scale of inflation as we have been, that we have a problem. That's the problem the Fed's trying to accommodate for. Now, some folks I talk to, smart people, say, hey, the economy is actually softening massively. Financial conditions have never been this tight and so forth. Therefore, the Fed is already overshot. Economy wasn't that great before. There's lots of inflation, but that had to do with the war in the Ukraine, had to do with short-term phenomena, COVID, et cetera. Right. All these things are moderating. People are coming back into the workforce. Oil prices is coming down. Commodities are coming down. And the Fed is putting the brakes on the economy. And we're, we're already nosediving. I mean, as one guy joked to me the other day, I said, well, maybe we're getting into the place where there's just no way that the market price is more than 50 basis points in September. And maybe we even start thinking, is it only going to be 25? And his joke to me was, cutting by 25 basis points isn't enough. Okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, they're definitely raising rates. Yeah. We just don't have. So there are views that I'm sympathetic to that we have um, already moderated the economy significantly. Now we can moderate the economy, the growth of the economy, and not achieve our goals in moderating inflation. That's a problem. Hopefully we're not into that problem. Top topic for another time. Right. But that seems to be like the Fed's biggest focus right now, right? To moderate inflation. And yes, 100%. Trying and trying, but like you said, there are two scenarios. We've either overshot and inflation's coming down or inflation's going to take a while to come down. So in both these scenarios, what does an investor do? What my best bet? Right. So first of all, you need to look at what the market's telling you, right? So nice to listen to me. Look at what the market's telling you. So the market's telling you a couple of things that are really interesting, okay? Let's think about banks for a moment, okay? Banks make good money when interest rates are higher because they have a a spread and they face a lot of risk that people won't repay the money they've lent, uh, people won't do more deals and so forth. But their nirvana is generally sort of nice high-ish interest rates, not zero, certainly higher, 3% would be nice for them. Trucking along, the economy's growing okay. They can deploy capital because people are borrowing, people are raising money and things are going well enough that people aren't defaulting. Yeah, that's, that's a sort of Goldilocks period. But if you look at financials in the US, XLF is the ETF, it's telling you something different. It's saying there is going to be a deep recession. Couple of problems with that. One is a lot of risk to the balance sheets of banks. Now they're not going out of business, but their earnings could really be impacted over the next year, number one. Number two, their ability to push out capital and to make a spread is going to be reduced. And then number three, maybe it's gonna be the worst of all possible worlds. Interest rates go up, deep recession, business is bad, then interest rates get cut again, so their net interest margins are low. So they never really get a, what I would call a bull market, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of, it's all truncated for them, right? So what those bank stocks are telling you right now is, there could be a really deep recession. What we've seen, of, and I'd call it early glimmers of spring, is the long, the US long bond TLT start to perk up a little bit. And you've seen equities, including loss-making tech, 
crypto begin to come out of its shell. Why is that? Those are long duration securities, meaning that they look through the period of this next 12 months and say, well, I don't care about what happens in 12 months. I sort of care about what growth looks like in 18 months. I care about what interest rates are going to be at the end of 2023. That's what I'm pricing. Long duration. So they're saying it's going to be a deep bear market. That means rates are going down. Okay. And that also means my cost of capital is going down, meaning that I'm going to be able to finance my growth technology company or Bitcoin is going to be perceived as more valuable or, or whatever it may be. That's sort of, I would say that the sort of tension in the market. Now, lots can go wrong with that picture. And this is this question about it, interim low, bull market rally, what's going on? Here's what goes wrong. Is, you know, what goes wrong is we have an accident, a financial accident. So we've raised rates a lot, raise rates again, and the market says, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought I was pricing a better world in six to 12 months, but I think the world's going to be so bad over the next six to 12 months that I, I think that the right price to buy these securities is much lower. It's much, much lower. It's 20% down on the S&P from here, right? Not, not at this level, 20% discount or something, 25%. That's, that's one scenario that people postulate. So that would say that what we've got is this nice little bounce. We call it a bear market rally, and then we will fail again, and we'll go to new lows. Okay, that's 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 something that people contemplate, and they can make lots of great arguments for that. Bearish people always sound really smart. Hard to sound bullish and sound smart because you always sound like you're uh, talking about the uh, Pied Piper, you know. That's, and all that's, the optimism and enthusiasm. Yeah, for sure. So the the question is: Is this a durable low? I mean. The hard part of all of this is that I'll say exactly what every technical analyst, I mean, I call this dumbest kid in the class stuff, will tell you. Well, if we go through 4,200 on the S&P, we're at 4,154. If we go through 4,200, we're probably going up to 4,400. If, if we go to 4,200 and we fail there, we're probably going back below 3,600. I, I mean, there probably isn't anybody anywhere that doesn't know that. So I have told nobody anything interesting. I think like you said last time, like on the one hand, on the other hand. Yeah. But I think what's more interesting is what probably confuses us. So most often markets confound really neat theories like this. So what, what will probably happen is we will blast through 4,200 and everybody who's been bearish will say, well, I remember Gavin told me, we go through 4,200, we're going higher. And they'll buy. Because I'm like, Jesus, I missed it. I missed it. <laughs> right? We're going back to the old highs. Missed it. And then we'll fail. Right? We'll run out of puff. We'll probably run out of puff about the end of August or early September, Labor Day, something like that. We'll run out of puff and then we'll fail. You know, because markets always confound us. If we're bearish, they rally. If we're bullish they fail and, and, and so forth. I mean, that's just, that's the like life, you know, you need to accept that. So I, I think as an investor, it is unknown whether or not call it S and P 36 to 3,800 was the low, but I think I'm not smart enough to say, well, you should have, you should wait because you'll be able to buy everything at 3,200. Rather, I would say 
you need to have a good portion of your funds in the market. And then you want to be allocating more if it goes lower. And even if it's a sustained low and it chops around, you might gain more confidence as you get better long-term signals about where, um, where things are going. Cool. Um, I had another question for you, Gavin. Yes. Um, so investors who are taking a more long-term view, not just like looking at the next six months mm. or even 12 months, right? Like investors who are looking at the next 18 months, the next two years, like you said, things will be going up. The market goes up, it goes down. What do you think should be the focus? What do you think are spaces to watch? What do you think are equities to watch? What do you think people should have their eye on in these 80 months? What do you think is going to come out at the end of 2023? Yeah, look, in general, this is a period where um, Russell 2000 growth tends to do pretty well. That is, call it smaller and medium-sized companies versus large cap. In general, during these periods, they tend to outperform. After a period like this, I would say NASDAQ generally underperforms, although we've seen outperformance most recently. Um, I think, look, my own view is you've got to be in the market all the time, okay? If you can time markets perfectly, I mean, you know, please do. I mean, you know, absolutely have at it. But you probably can't because most likely, well, mo nobody ever can perfectly. Um, so you need to have an allocation and you need to think I'm investing across time. The number one mistake that investors make is time out of the market, not time in the market. The number of people I talk to, smart people, very smart people, who say things like, look, I'm a genius, right? I took all my money out at the end of 2021. I'm a genius. They say, that's great. What are you going to do now? Well, I'm going to wait until I get a signal before allocating. Okay. So what, what signal is that? What, what might be your signal? They might say, I'm waiting for 4,200 on the S&P. I'd say, that's, that's perfectly fine. What are you going to do then? Well, I'm going to wait and see if it holds. Okay. So it holds and it's now at 4,400. Well, what are you doing now? Oh my God, well, it's really rallied a lot. Maybe it'll pull back to 4,200 because I don't want to be chasing this market. You see where I'm going with it, right? Yep. So at the end of the day, you just want to try to take advantage of very extreme mo movements, but know that your chances of buying the exact low and the exact day are very low and you need to be in the market. Now you need to say, is now a time to be overweight equities. I would say now is a time to probably be equal weight equities and bonds. I think fixed income is a better investment, US 10-year TLT. Interest rates are coming down over the next year, right? Do not get into fixed rate investments. They're very tempting. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that you, you are going to do better to own bonds than you are to have fixed your money right? Because the problem is, if I give you 5% today, you say, that's great. One year, 5%, I am in. But a year from now, if rates are 3%, well, that might have been okay, but now what are you going to do, right? You've had no capital appreciation. You know, you all you've got is all your cash back, and now you've got to reinvest it, right? So I think now is a time to be probably buying 
buying some bonds, buying um, good credit, laddering into that market, um, and away you go. Cool. Thank you. So what do you think is going to be in tomorrow's news, Kevin? Look, August is generally seasonally pretty good in markets. So, you know, my expectation is we're going to have, you know, barring some new piece of data, which always happens, we're going to have some pretty, pretty robust um, returns over the month. Yeah. I also want to add something. I believe that there might be one episode where you didn't, but I believe that in every episode we've recorded, you have reminded me and investors that the worst thing you can do is stay out of the market. <laughs> every time. Yeah, it'll, it's an old truism, right? I mean, you know, I think you talk to any financial planner, any broker, anybody, any money manager, um, you cannot go zero and one, right? So just anything, anything other than zero and one, you're fine. Yeah, no, it's a great reminder. And there's no reason to decide that tomorrow is the day I need to do anything. I think dollar cost averaging remains probably one of the best investor approaches that there is. And, uh, you know, you can scatter some perceived opportunistic investments along the way, but you just sort of keep on going. And that's tomorrow's news. For more conversations like these, you can join the BFA Discord server at the link in the description. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tomorrow's News.